Hello and welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Mr Robert Murray, whose play, The Spirit of Robbie Burns, has recently been performed with great acclaim at the Edinburgh Fringe. Welcome, Robbie. Hello, Tom. <laughs> it's good to be here. Well, it's always great to talk to you, Robbie, and especially on this occasion, because it's been something of a, a red-letter day, seeing your play come to life uh, in that wonderful city of Edinburgh, somewhere that meant so much to Robert Burns himself. It sure was a great feeling, Tom. I mean, it's been something in my life for the last uh, several years, and um, although we've performed uh, the play in Angus uh, at quite a number of locations there, this was a big moment, <laughs> finally to be in Edinburgh, and I couldn't help thinking of the, the Robert Burns period of life that he had in Edinburgh, and here I was back in Edinburgh with a Burns play. <laughs> well, as you say, Robbie, the spirit of Robbie Burns has been performed successfully over the years in many locations around the United Kingdom, but how was it that it came to be staged at the internationally famous Edinburgh Fringe? It's an amazing story. So many things have happened to me which I could put down to luck. But, I mean, the background to my Robert Burns uh, play was that I was, if I can use the word, exiled in England, <laughs> in deepest Devon, and um, writing and taking part in local um, drama groups and the local musical society, that sort of thing filled my life at that point in time. But in between times, I, I, I thought of writing uh, something, and I, I did have in mind uh, something like a three-act play about... Robert Burns' life, uh, began to realise it's quite a daunting task, but I, I came up with the idea of something along the lines of Robert Burns writing his own life and uh, thereby being able to introduce characters in his life, and I tried to put in chronologically songs and poems along the way of his life. So I was in Ilfracombe, and we had a blank spell every year in January when the, the local drama group said, this is a, a home night, we, we'll make our own um, uh, entertainment in January. Has anybody got any ideas? And at that point I had more or less put together my Robert Burns story. And uh, I, I came up with the idea and said, would anyone like to take part in this, thinking I might get three or four or half a dozen people in, involved. To my astonishment, I had over 20 people came saying, can I be part of the Robert Burns story? I was overjoyed. And uh, I took a room uh, in a local hotel that had a, fortuitous, had a small stage. And uh, I knew a pianist and I knew two or three good, excellent singers. And I put together the show. And this has been in my, this was going back several years ago now. But when I came to back to Scotland, uh, this Robert Burns play was still in my, my thoughts and um, by good fortune uh, James Hutchison uh, a distant relative of mine uh, is an excellent producer of um, shows, music shows and um, I contacted him with the idea and he readily agreed he's got a group of people he calls the Friends and they, they perform songs and various um, uh, entertainment in the county of Angus and James was immediately um, pleased with this idea and so we had several uh, productions in churches as I always think Burns would be quite amused at <laughs> his life stories being performed in churches but it, it came to the point where I, uh, I put it together as a, a book 
and that's a separate story but the the play is in fact in book form and um, through a very good friend of mine in the writing world the amateur writing world in Dundee a man by the name of Eddie Small who was an extremely helpful man for all amateur writers like myself he said to me Robbie one day we're going to jump on a bus I know people in Edinburgh and we'll take your play to Edinburgh and I was overjoyed the great sadness of course during the Covid period but not connected to Covid Eddie my friend passed away so I was left with no other thought than what was he going to say in Edinburgh who was he going to meet in Edinburgh all I knew about Edinburgh was we were going to go to St John's Church and starting off with that tiny bit of <laughs> information I took myself to Edinburgh and uh, started speaking and that's the origins of how it came to be in St John's Church. So you mentioned Robbie that the Fringe performances took place at that very famous venue in Edinburgh's historic Princess Street. What was it like to see the play come to life at St John's Church? It was emotional Tom. I, I think partly because of my own feeling inside myself about finally getting to Edinburgh and, and the, and the uh, my euphoria of being in Edinburgh especially at the Fringe period uh, but also the Burns connection in Edinburgh and I couldn't help thinking somewhere along the line I would just love to have a conversation with Robert, Robert Burns <laughs> what would he think about the life story going on in Edinburgh where he himself had been there in the, the latter stages of uh, 1786 uh, so emotion I think was probably the, um, the, the, the highlight in, in my um, thinking it was a magnificent uh, it is a magnificent building uh, the style and the space and the very fact it's in this throbbing period of the fringe in Edinburgh was really quite amazing uh, it's a dream setting and the acoustics particularly are excellent so the building itself with the attributes of the building uh, the period of i.e. Edinburgh but the fringe of Edinburgh all added to the atmosphere for me so it was um, an unbelievable moment, really, I have to be honest. The cast and crew already had valuable experience of performing the play in the past, but how did they prepare for the performance at the Fringe? Was the rehearsal process different this time? Yes, very good point. When we were doing our shows around Angus, I think they had the occasional rehearsal between shows. These shows were all, uh, I may say, put on by word of mouth. The success was, was quite... Uh, uh, amazing on that basis so um, there, there were performances going on and the need for rehearsal wasn't so great but in, in this case we've just come through Covid we haven't been uh, performing the, the play and uh, James and his team got together uh, three rehearsals um, in the ten days or so before we actually went to Edinburgh and by the time it came to Edinburgh I was at delighted to say that um, it was word perfect and went off very smoothly. So yes, it was a, an unusual situation, but the team uh, reacted very well and, and uh, there were no problems with that respect. The Edinburgh Fringe is renowned for its international audiences, with people coming from all over the world to sample its attractions. Did the wide range of different languages and cultures in attendance present any challenges to the staging of the play? It certainly did, <laughs> in a very strange way. 
I think there were numbers in the audience that uh, were probably hearing about Burns for the very first time. I didn't get a chance to speak with all of them, but uh, I could gauge that. The interesting thing <laughs> for me personally was that I took part in handing out flyers in the streets. <laughs> we tramped up uh, the, the Prince's Street, I tramped round all the major hotels and put in posters and flyers. We uh, had a good walk up uh, the Royal Mile two or three times. And the interesting thing was, this was a new experience for me to be putting out flyers. There was a bit of a thrill. I'd been to many fringe shows and uh, I've always quite intrigued by the uh, the obvious marketing ploys that people get up to when they're trying to sell a show. Well, here I was on a pavement in Edinburgh <laughs> doing exactly that. And um, I had to think seriously about, I have uh, 1,500, 2,000 flyers. Do I give them all away willy-nilly to every single pedestrian that passes the pavement? Or am I going to be careful about putting them into the right hands of where I think they should go? Now that's a very subjective thing to do. <laughs> so I began working out in my mind who were my greatest potentials to come to the show. I think I have to say probably uh, older couples would probably be top of the list. I don't know why I say that. Uh, and then I would see groups of people of a similar middle-aged uh, category, Tom, and even speaking about it sounds quite divisive. But I could see a number of um, groups around and I had to seriously think, uh, how, how far do I press this point? I did make several attempts to do so and was rebuffed by mainly people who said words about, uh, I, don't, I don't know about this, I don't need to know about this, words to that effect. In other words, people who had no knowledge of even the name Robert Burns and despite what we think, about Robert Burns' name being grown around the world, I began to realise there are many parts of the world where Burns is simply not even heard of. And so I realised in the States and the Commonwealth and so on, English-speaking uh, parts of the world, Burns is known. But I came across this uh, blockage. So I began to be quite uh, selective at where I decided to distribute my flyers. So the challenge was, uh, funnily enough, met by me on the pavement rather than in the church. <laughs> it was quite, quite a daunting task. And um, one becomes uh, immune eventually to the immediate rebuff and the wave of the hand to uh, immediately dismiss uh, this, this person trying to distribute a flyer. You begin to be quite thick-skinned about it all. Uh, I didn't mind it at all. It was good fun. And I actually found myself engaging with a lot of people and in some cases explaining who Robert Burns was and what the play was all about and in fact while I was selling flyers outside the church door I actually managed to sell two books <laughs> because uh, the interest was developed and there was a spark and a flame about the what I was saying and so I rushed back into church on a couple of occasions and signed a book and strangely enough <laughs> the people I was chatting to and the people who I signed books for were on their way to the Alan Cummings Robert Burns play being held in King's Theatre that very same afternoon. So I had jocular remarks and great camaraderie with people and uh, inviting them to come back and tell me what they thought about the Robert Burns play in, uh, in King's Theatre. Uh, 
so it was good natured uh, opportunity to chat with people and it was a new experience for me but to answer the point yes the uh, the, the cultural divides happened uh, in the street uh, and I had to make some decisions on simple subjects like flyers uh, there were as I said earlier people in the audience I didn't get a chance to catch up with them as I should have done perhaps but um, it, it did have a, an attraction from a, a, a wider area than uh, the Scottish home nation uh, audience that, that would certainly be there well, it's interesting you make that point, actually, because with Robert Burns being one of the most towering figures in the history of Scottish literary culture, how do you feel the audience responded to this modern retelling of the, the life of Scotland's national bird? There was certainly a great attentiveness in the audience. There was, um, it didn't lend itself to immediate applause during the, the show. Uh, each individual part uh, is performed, and perhaps there could easily have been uh, breaks but there was no such thing. Uh, there was a great attentiveness and uh, silence and everybody in the audience, I could tell, was taking on board the story in a serious in a serious fashion. Given the success of The Spirit of Robbie Burns on the Edinburgh stage, what's next for your play? Are there any further performances currently in the pipeline? There are, Tom, yes, um, I'm happy to say. I've, I've got two churches, uh, potentially, uh, thinking of... Um, uh, putting on the play sometime during this uh, coming winter. Uh, hopefully that will come about. My dream is to continue doing that because there is a there is a, a nice feeling going to smaller communities and we may uh, enlarge the geographic spread of what we're doing uh, from my hometown in Carnoustie. So Angus certainly has been well covered. It could still be extended. Uh, I'm hoping to get into Dundee uh, areas, so there is a market near at home. I don't know if it would do any damage to me, but uh, as far as the play is concerned, in uh, a local sense, but it would be a real f great feeling to me to see it produced professionally, uh, possibly in a place like Pitlochry, for example. I know that in some years in the past, before pandemic, they they there was a possibility of putting on evening uh, performances outside the, the, the grand productions that Pitlochry Theatre does so marvellously well, but they'd also do something along the lines that my Burns play could fill uh, a spot in, in their uh, repertoire. So I would dearly love to see a professional unit carry on the, uh, the play in, a, in, in the theatre in the hills. Yes, because that's an interesting point, isn't it? Uh, because your play covers the many different seasons of Burns' own life, it is kind of a play that lends itself really to any part of the year. That's true. Uh, this has been... Uh, uh, here we were in Edinburgh in August. Uh, uh, it, there's a capture. Um, Robert Burns is a magnetic character in that sense. Uh, there are... A, as we know, there's probably quite a number of people who have got their own opinions about Burns and his own attitudes. I, th I think in most cases wrongly. Uh, the Burns was a superb character in his way of how he dealt with his life, how he helped people, 
how he made every opportunity, took every opportunity to make good any errors that he made along the way. And um, so, yes, the time of the year is not that critical. It doesn't need to be uh, a show for January because the, the aspirations of uh, Burns, the qualities, his uh, thinking, his attitudes to life, uh, the tenets of his, um, I, I don't know, there's something about Burns that can transcend all of that in January. The message is, is uh, one of love and caring and um, hard work, poverty and uh, eventually great success in his own world. All of that uh, makes for a story which is good for any time of the year. And it would be remiss of me not to ask, uh, given that you're someone who has studied Burns' life and work for many years, um, how you feel that the National Bard himself would have uh, related to his life appearing all these years later in Edinburgh, a city that <laughs> meant so much to him? I would have loved to have seen Robert Burns striding down P Princess Street and seeing the sandwich board at the front door and saying, my goodness, what on earth is going on in here? and probably uh, seriously questioning Robert Murray about what on earth is he doing. I would like to think that we'd I'd have a reasonably good discussion. He would probably correct me on a number of factual errors, <laughs> uh, which of, I hope are, not, are very few, but um, I, I, would look for, I would have looked forward to have had a, a really interesting chat. I mean, his, his uh, sojourn to Edinburgh was on a purely business matter of getting his second publication uh, produced. And uh, he had a purpose in life of being in Edinburgh, as I did, <laughs> on a totally different level, of course. But uh, it would have been a wonderful feeling. Uh, the Edinburgh that he experienced and how he set off on his pony, a borrowed pony, uh, in November 1786, uh, it's a huge adventure for him. He had no idea of what was ahead of him. Uh, he had just heard that his first edition, the Kilmarnock edition, had been widely received. So he must have set off with a degree of um, hope and uh, belief in what he was doing was, was on the right tracks. And in my own quiet little way, I was setting off Carnoustie with, with my play, <laughs> with no idea of how things were going to go. Uh, at a totally totally different level but uh, I think I would have enjoyed a discussion with Robert Burns and I'm sure he was the type of man that would have been inquisitive enough uh, to ask why was I doing this and where had I come from and so on and so forth so yes a feeling of um, I felt very close strangely to Burns while I sat in the church and uh, listened to both shows uh, the 3 p.m. and the 7 p.m., which we did on the 9th of August, um, I grew increasingly emotional about realising that here I was in Edinburgh. Burns couldn't be with me, but I would—I felt a, a great, somehow, emotion and rapport with Burns, just sitting there in St John's Kirk. Uh, I felt close to Burns. It was quite emotional. I can't explain it. It wasn't anything to do with how the play was going and I was delighted with the way the play was going. But Burns's presence somehow was quite large in my thinking. 
Well, if you are keen to see the spirit of Robbie Burns for yourself, I would warmly recommend that you visit Robbie's website at www.robertmurrayauthor.co.uk where you can find details of all of Robbie's uh, future appearances, uh, where he'll be talking about his books, and also future stagings of the play itself. If you'd like to read The Spirit of Robbie Burns in its book version, um, it's still available to buy from Extremist Publishing through all good online retailers and independent booksellers worldwide. Robbie, thanks very much for joining us today to share your thoughts about what's been a really landmark event. <laughs> it's very kind of you, Tom. It's always a pleasure having a word with you. And thanks very much for the chat. And uh, as always, uh, greatly appreciated. Thanks, Tom. And thanks very much for listening. I hope that you'll tune in again soon. would like to find out more about advertising on the extremist publishing podcast please visit their website at www.extremistpublishing.com for details